Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a three-minute moment of silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. And I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Hey. Thanks for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. Also, the coffee area will be closed for this portion of the meeting so as to minimize distractions. Also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and your posture. Breathe in God and breathe out self. Take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you focus on the study. We will see you in three minutes.
All right, so um, we're going to do the fog light prayer. Um, if you don't know it, just follow along. God, God, let your love shine through me like a fog light so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. Amen. What do you uh, think? Should we have our secretary's report? Yeah, I believe we have Megan coming up tonight to do our secretary's report. Uh, hi, my name is Megan, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Amen. Megan. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Um, and I have asked Kelly to come up and read the recovered statement. I am a recovered alcoholic named Kelly. Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. We are now seeing where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. 1940-style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition, Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. We have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. Um, and we are also taking contributions through Venmo, um, Zelle, um, we meet every Monday promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery tune. And to, um, and we will be broadcasting the meetings like this So until further notice, so we hope you join us. If you do want to um, make a contribution through Venmo or, or through Zelle, uh, you can feel free to text any of the home group members. Uh, we can facilitate that for you. Um, we're also going to be taking shares tonight. Um, uh, if you'd like to call in a share, um, you can call 954-405-9345. Um, that way you can uh, uh, share anything on, the, on what we're talking about. Um, so from the forward to the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, we have Alcoholics Anonymous for more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of, well, my book's falling apart, of this book and of this group. From there is a solution, also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Uh, because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here uh, if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected, and we ask that you protect ours. Is anyone here joining us for the first time? It seems un unlikely given the, <laughs> the situation. Uh, okay, well, how about a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? All right, well, that's fantastic. 
Uh, while this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to stop drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. Um, if anybody needs a big book, we do have a couple loaners over here as well. Um, before we begin our, big, our study of the big book tonight, uh, last week we actually didn't review a tradition, um, but tonight we're going to be reviewing Tradition 8. Is that right? Nine. Tradition 9. Nine. Uh, so tonight let's take a quick re review of Tradition 9. Uh, you can refer to the unabridged big book, uh, page 562, and in the abridged version, page 177, and we have uh, Miss Tanisha up here doing our traditions. Hello, everyone. My name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic traditionist. Hey, Tanisha. Tradition 9 states, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. And will you turn with me to the long version, which states, each AA group needs the least possible organization. Rotating leadership is the best. The small group may elect its secretary, the large group its rotating committee, and the groups of large metropolitan area their central or inner group committee, which often employs a full-time secretary. The trustees of the General Service Board are, in effect, our AA General Service Committee. They are the custodians of our AA tradition and the receivers of voluntary AA contributions by which we maintain our AA General Service Office at New York. They are authorized by the groups to handle our overall public relations and they guarantee the integrity of our principal newspaper, the AA Grapevine. All such representatives are to be guided in the spirit of service, for true leaders in AA are but trusted and experienced servants of the whole. They derive no real authority from their titles. They do not govern. Universal respect is the key to their usefulness. And with that said, Ninth Tradition. Let's keep it simple as our model here. We have to be organized to carry the message. By knowing our responsibilities to each other keeps us in order. Organized chaos is someone like me thinking they have it all together, but really making a mess. Spiritual simplicity is the goal, and one alcoholic talking to another is the perfect example. There is no aamatch.com to find a sponsor or a sponsee. Don't even think about it. <laughs> Assuming responsibility, according to our service position, looks like this. Group officers to their members, intergroup committees to local groups, institution committees to AA groups in treatment and correctional facilities, area committees to groups in their areas, conference delegates and committees to all groups in the U.S. and Canada, GSO, General Service Office, and board and board committee to all groups and members everywhere. This is how the second and ninth tradition comes together. Because we are trusted servants, we can take care of each other. Thanks to our fifth tradition. <laughs> 
Thanks to our fifth tradition, our board doesn't govern like average business. Decisions are made with AA as a whole in mind. Our board trustees do place their votes at conference separately and collectively make a group conscious decision. GSO doesn't run AA as we groups run it by what we report from our experiences which determines what works. And it works. One primary purpose is ingrained in our program to just simply carry the message. By keeping it that simple, we are able to have continued success, hence continued sobriety. AA works like this. Spiritual simplicity by avoiding dangerous complications, doing less and loving more. Tonight we're going to begin uh, our questions on page 33, um, and that's going to be read from the front by tonight's reader, Megan. In order to help us stay focused as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. Megan's on her way up here. Barry's got it all wiped down for us, and we're going to begin, as Ryan said, on page 33. Um, and that's going to be read by Megan. Um, after the page is read, we're going to ask questions from the, boat, the podium starting back at the top of page 33. Uh, the answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified, and multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're going to read the material once through and then re-dissect the information a second time through the question-and-answer format. Notice how the information... Uh, Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light in which to consider the study material. This is important because hearing the questions and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. Uh, after we've completed the page, we open up for comments, questions, and observations based on what was just read. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, uh, you're free to share. Uh, and again, real quick, uh, if you do want to share on a call-in, you can call 954-405-9345. However, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin staring about topics which are more appropriately discussed in a different, i.e. sponsorship setting, please do not be offended when we cut that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after our study time. You can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps, is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. Uh, we didn't just start in more about alcoholism, right? How many weeks ago has it been? 34 weeks? 20, 24. 24? All right. So 24 weeks ago we got started. Um, and we, we started uh, right on page zero of the book um, and started with the, pref the, forward, the preface and the forwards. Um, you know, it kind of talks about a little bit of the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, how Alcoholics Anonymous became what it is today. It introduces traditions. Um, spiritual experience. Um, so it's kind of, you know, I don't want to sign up for um, some organization for the rest of my life without knowing anything about that organization. So it's kind of important that we, that we read those um, and figure out a little bit of what it is that we're signing up for. Um, but once we've done that, we move into uh, another chapter called... The Doctor's Opinion. The Doctor's Opinion is a must-read if you're suffering from alcoholism. Um, and I really mean that because it lays out what the disease of alcoholism is. How can I announce myself as an alcoholic if I don't know what that means? The doctor's opinion lays it out. I have a physical allergy to alcohol. The manifestation of that allergy is the phenomenon of craving. When I start to drink, 
I desire to drink more and more and more. And then I pass through the well-known stages of esprit, emerging remorseful with the firm resolution not to drink again. However, I will drink again because of the second part of the disease, which is the mental obsession. So I have a mind that will cloud out reason, and I have a lack of proportion and the ability to stop myself from taking that first drink. So I have the mental obsession, physical allergy, and then we have this restless, irritable, discontented feeling that we get, which is the spiritual malady. And then we talk briefly about the altruistic solution, spiritual and altruistic solution, showing concern for the welfare of others is the basis of our recovery. And then after the doctor's opinion, we move into Bill's story. Uh, Bill's story. Um, so uh, Bill's story, they call it a classic 12-step call. Um, you know, Bill's story starts out, we get to see a little bit of like his early life. Um, and very early on, he starts talking about things that kind of leads us to believe that alcohol is an easy, quick solution for Bill. Um, but he's not uh, a full-blown alcoholic at the beginning of the story. We get to see that progression um, of, him, of him crossing that line. Um, you know, he started out very successful working on Wall Street. Um, and then after the stock market crash, it seems like everything just, you know, fell apart for him. Um, he ends up, you know, moving in with his uh, wife's parents um, and, you know, just not holding a job for the pretty much the rest of the story um, until one night his friend Ebby Thatcher comes along. And, you know, he, he knows Ebby as a school friend. Uh, they used to go out and get drunk together. And when Ebby shows up at his door, the first thing that he sees is that he was sober. You know, that he, there's something in his eyes telling him that he's sober. Um, and Abby point blank just tells Bill, you know, I've, I've got religion. I found God. Um, so this brings up a lot of a lot of um, a lot of like uh, prejudice thoughts for Bill about what he was raised with. You know, it's a little hard for him to jump on board with the whole God idea. But then Abby also throws out there, you know, you just have to come up with your own conception of God. Um, that's kind of where we get what we have today. Um, so. You know, we get to see Bill go into his last detox, and, and he describes going through his steps, and he describes how he finds a spiritual experience. Um, so now that we know what the solution is, we switch into another chapter, talking a little bit more about that. The chapter is, there is a solution. The solution is God. There is a solution. Uh, so we have shared in this common peril, right? The feeling of having escaped from the disaster of alcoholism is one element in this powerful cement that binds us but that in and of itself would never have held us together the way that we're now joined. And then we read the tremendous fact that's from there is a solution. So the fact is, the tremendous fact is that we have this common solution that's outlined in this big book. So it's more than just going on trips with my friends and smoking cigarettes outside of a meeting, right? It's about actually doing the steps thoroughly and completely and honestly with the sponsor the way that they're outlined in the text of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then we get the story of Roland, who went to see Carl Jung. Carl Jung was one of the original psychoanalysts. He outlines what the solution entails. It's an entire psychic change brought about by this spiritual experience. Ideas, beliefs, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces in my life, needed to be cast to one side, and a new set of conceptions and motives had to come in and dominate me. And that's the solution to alcoholism. And it's also fun to go to meetings and hang out with people, too. That's another power, but the solution really is the spiritual experience. And we get that fancy little star, which is the asterisk, that takes us to the back of the book where we read what a spiritual experience is. And then after a spiritual experience, that which brings is chapter us, two. That brings us into more about alcoholism, which was where we're going to be tonight. Um, so far in this chapter, you know, we've... we've we started out uh, reading a little bit about like untreated alcoholism because uh, they do call this the chapter on relapse. Um, you know, it starts talking about a lot of the things that a lot of people have tried um, to overcome their drinking, um, 
And it's funny because they list all of this stuff, but the only thing that's missing off of that list is God. Um, goes into another story about a, a man of 30, um, you know, that, you know, he had that physical obsession, that physical uh, craving. You know, once he started drinking, he had trouble stopping. But the thing that he didn't have was that mental obsession. He, he still had a power of choice. Um, so he made a decision that he was going to stop drinking until he retired. Um, and he did that, you know, and then he started drinking again after he retired. And he realized that he picked up right where he left off when he was 30 years old. Um, and it wasn't long before um, and then he ended up making the ultimate sacrifice. Um, so that's going to kind of work, be where we're going to tee off tonight. Uh, we're going to start with the story of the man of 30. Uh, but the questions are going to begin on page 33. But Megan, if you want to start. Um, page 32 with that story, and uh, we'll stop you when it's time. Um, a man of 30 was doing a great deal of spree drinking. He was very nervous in the morning after these bouts and quieted himself with, with uh, more liquor. Um, he was ambitious to succeed in business, but saw that he would get nowhere if he drank at all. Once he started, he had no control whatever. He made up his mind that until he had been successful in business and had retired, he would not touch another drop. An exceptional man, he remained bone dry for 25 years and retired at the age of 55 after a successful and happy business career. Then he fell victim to a belief, which practically every alcoholic has, that his long period of sobriety and self-discipline had qualified him to drink as other men. Out came his carpet slippers and a bottle. In two months, he was in a hospital, puzzled and humiliated. He tried to regulate his drinking for a while, making several, several trips to the hospital meantime. Then, gathering all his forces, he attempted to stop altogether and found he could not. Every means of solving his problem, which uh, money could buy, was at his disposal. Every attempt failed. Though, though, though a... a a robust man at a retirement, he went to pieces quickly and was dead within four years. This is where our study is going to start tonight. So if you want to keep going. This case contains a powerful lesson. Most of us have believed that if, that if we remain sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. But here is a man who at 55 years found he was just where he had left off at 30. We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. If we are planning to stop drinking, there, there must be no reservations of any kind, no, nor any lurking notion that someday he will be immune to alcohol. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop, as he did, on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it, because none will really want to stop and hardly uh, and hardly one of them because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired will find he can win out several of our crowd men of 30 or less had been drinking only a few years but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years to be gravely affected one does not necessarily have to drink for a long time nor take the quantities some of us have this is partic particularly true of women Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Certain drinkers, who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics, are astonished at their inability to stop. We, who are familiar with the symptoms, see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere. But try and get them to see it. 
As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the, the point uh, where we could quit on our own willpower. If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remained sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though you, though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. Many of us felt we had plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever, yet we found it impossible. This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. How then <clears throat> shall we help our readers determine to their own satisfaction whether they are one of us? The experiment of quitting for a period of time will be helpful, but we think uh, we can render an even greater service to alcoholic sufferers and perhaps to the medical fraternity. So we shall describe some of the mental states that precede a relapse into drinking, for obviously this is the crux of the problem. What sort of thinking dominates an alcoholic who repeats time after time the desperate experiment of the first drink? Friends who have uh, reasoned with him after a spree which has brought him to the point of divorce or bankruptcy are mystified when he walks directly into a saloon. Why does he? Of what is he thinking? All right, so we're going to stop there. Thanks, Megan. Thank you. Um, We're going to begin our question and answer segment on the top of page 33, the first full paragraph, where uh, the sentence begins, this case. And so I will ask the questions, and Ryan will answer. And after each paragraph or two, uh, we'll open it up for comments. And if you want to call in, then we will decide if we're going to take those calls. Are there one or more lessons in this story? This case contains a powerful lesson. What do most of us believe that he also believed? Most of us have believed that if we remained sober for a long stretch, we could thereafter drink normally. What did he find when he started drinking again? But here is a man who at 55 years found he, was just, found he was just where he had left off at 30. What truth have we seen demonstrated repeatedly? We have seen the truth demonstrated again and again. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. If we can manage to stay sober for a period, will it be better when we start again? Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, we are in a short time as bad as ever. We have a note here. If you were able to stay sober for a spell, was it better or worse when you started drinking again? Next question. If we really want to stop drinking for good and all, what is a condition that must be met? If we are planning to stop drinking, there must, there must be no reservations of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. All right. This page is now open for comment. If anybody has anything, they're free to share. Otherwise, we'll continue. Are young people inclined to believe as he did when he was 30? Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop as he did on their own willpower. We have a three-part question. Will many of the young ones be successful in self-imposed sobriety 
Will young folks really want to stop for good and all? And why will they be unable to stop even if they really want to? We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find that he can win out. What did several young men discover? Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, have been drinking only a few years, but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. Mm. And I'm reminded in the last sentence of that where he talks about helpless, being helpless, of step one. This is all really about step one and a little bit of two, right? I'm powerless over alcohol when I come in here. I'm powerless. My life is unmanageable, even after some time here, right? So... The sentence, this whole paragraph actually just really makes me think, though, of like, you know, being in probably heavy, problem heavy hard drinker and then crossing that threshold to alcoholism. And, you know, I, it makes me wonder if like I would have been able to stop, but like I had no desire to because at the time I probably should have, you know, I was still having a great time, you know, and like it wasn't until like it stopped working for me that that's when I figured out that I wasn't able to stop anymore, you yeah. know? But I think at some point I probably could have. So I guess we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, and it, it was a strange thing for a lot of years, too, the peculiar mental twist, right? It's, why am I drunk again? I'm beating on the bar asking myself how it happened, right? And, uh, and it's going to say on the next page, that's the baffling feature of alcoholism, the utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I needed to stop drinking. I wanted to stop drinking. But for whatever reason, I ended up drunk. How I, peculiar. I like the thing at the top, the first paragraph that we read too, um, talking about once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, um, because I can't even begin to count how many times, like, I mean, I had other issues going on besides alcohol, um, doing a little dry goods, and, you know, that was, in my mind, what I considered to be the main issue, you know, and I didn't think that I had a problem with alcohol, so I was vocal about the fact that I was not going to stop drinking, you know, and that was, and it wasn't until I was able to surrender to the idea that, yeah, I'm an alcoholic and I need to stop that I was able to actually take steps to do that, you know, but before that I was just arrogant and thought that I could still come up with the plan on my own, you know, just give me the information that I need and I'll go on my way. Right. You know? Yeah, like I didn't, I didn't drink mouthwash. I only drank, you know, that stuff that they sell at the actual liquor store. So I'm not a real alcoholic like these people, you know. And in reality, like, you know, worse because of the pride too. Pride has been called spiritual cancer. And that is something that I suffered from. Yeah. Still do sometimes. <laughs> Does anybody have anything that they want to share on these uh, two paragraphs that we've heard? we got uh, Megan coming up. Oh, hi, I'm Megan. Hey, Megan. Um, Step up closer. So I can relate a lot to this, um, the periods of sobriety, and then thinking that I'll be able to, you know, drink again. Um, I thought, you know, I went to rehab. I worked on these problems. I had a lot of therapy. I'm, I feel better now. Like, I figured it out. If I can just get this job, if I can just be with this person. I thought if I just arranged everything um, to be happy that... I'd be fine, that my drinking was just a result of this being wrong, that not being how I wanted it, this not being how I wanted it. But my drinking was really the result of the spiritual sickness. And until I worked on that, um, till I found the spiritual solution, I still, I was still sick um, and I still wanted to drink and I still needed something to take care of the way I was feeling. Um, so I'm just, I don't know, I'm very grateful 
for the people in my life and that I've found a spiritual solution and have no desire to drink no matter what's going on in my life. It's funny that you say that, too, because I definitely... I feel like I was kind of in that same boat of thinking that, like, you know, if I could just get things to work for me the way that I felt I needed them to work for me, then I could... Then the drinking wouldn't be an issue. But in in my drinking like I mean I drank because I was having a good day I drank because I was having a bad day I drank because I got a job I drank because I lost a job I drank because it was Tuesday you know so it didn't it didn't matter why I was drinking I was going to drink regardless because I was an untreated alcoholic and I'm reminded of Bill's story where he says the drive for success was on I'd proved to the world I was important right external conditions defined Bill well the external conditions I thought could define me as non-alcoholic if I can prove to other people that I can drink and not get in trouble, then in those cases, maybe I'm not an alcoholic because I'm still looking for validation from other human beings rather than the source. I think we got a share. Hey, recovered alcoholic Mike Chase. Mike Chase. I just noticed this for, I think, probably the first time, the nuance of how the writing has shifted. You know, in the first parts of the book, the... The forwards, the doctor's opinion, Bill's story, and even their solution. Most of the conversation was teetered on them. Um, not me, the person reading the book, but you alcoholic, you know, you, you folk type people. And, and by this time in the book, you're either one of us or you're not. And you pretty much got that decision down. For me, I was just waiting for that last little bit of push to make sure I'm one of these. And, and it stands out to me in here. Um, 33 on that top page this case the one we just read about the man of 30 most of us you all but starting to include me perhaps believe that if we remain sober for a stretch we could thereafter drink normally do I relate to that so I guess I'm slowly becoming one of you folks <laughs> but here's a man who at 55 found he was just where he had left off how many times did I quit or try to quit and when I restarted again did it just kick off if not even worse that's me too and then I got this part in green we have seen the truth demonstrated again and again once an alcoholic always an alcoholic I have proved beyond a reasonable doubt to myself at this point that once I start drinking I can't control how much I'm going to go and then I can't even stop picking up hmm I guess I really could be one of you guys Commencing to drink after a period of sobriety, which could have been a day, a week, or a month, you know. I never really could stop long on my own. It was always like these little pauses, like a day or a couple hours, because I would switch, change my mind, I would think. Now, this is where it got me. If we were planning to stop, there would be no reservation of any kind, nor, no, nor lurking notion that someday we will be immune to alcohol. That's me. And I got this question off to the side when I'm working with my guys. It's like, are you done? Was I done? Am I ready to jump in and do this? Because everything that's we reading up to this point was to help me to make a decision. I'm one of you guys, and if I'm one of you guys, that means that's a hopeless malady, a fatality, and I'm going to drink myself to death, and I need to do something while I still can. And then it backs up with this paragraph of like, well, you know, if I decide I'm alcoholic today, maybe I'll quit in a month or a week or a few years from now. But we, we realize we don't have that choice. We don't have to go to the home groups or the meetings where everybody has to you know, brag about how their consequences are so horrible and miserable. It's like, dude, you, you, know, you don't want to end up like me, do you? Those folks and stuff like that. If I suffer from alcoholism, which is a spiritual malady, which I definitely suffered from, I'm miserable. And I got that mental obsession. I cannot not stop picking up. And once I start, you know, 
why can't I just jump into this today? If I've got surrounded by loving people that have shared with me how their lives have switched around and how they finally have lives of purpose, if we if we made this something nice and fun to be part of, I see no reason to go on. But we got a few more pages just to convince me a little bit more. But I love the social nuance of like, yeah, I'm I'm one of you losers now. <laughs> Drat. <laughs> the greatest things that ever happened to me is you one of you guys. Thanks. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, Mike Chase. Uh, should we keep going? I think so. We've got a two-parter here. Does how long a person drinks have much to do with the helplessness of the disease? And does the person have to drink long and hard to become a hopeless alcoholic? Uh, to be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time, nor take the quantities some of us have. Does alcoholism treat women differently? This is particularly true of women. What can be said for potential female alcoholics? Potential female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. What are certain drinkers astonished to learn? Certain drinkers who would be greatly insulted if called alcoholics are astonished at their inability to stop. What will those of us who are familiar with the symptoms of alcoholism see? We who are familiar with the symptoms see large numbers of potential alcoholics among young people everywhere. But try and get them to see it. Yeah, and try to get them to see it. And then we have the... Statistic at the bottom of the page, right? So it's a. Yes, so go ahead. True, when this book was first published, but in 2014, U.S. Canada membership survey showed that about 12% of AAs were 30 and under. So we had a lot of sober men and women of 30, didn't we? My statistic's different. Oh, nice. What's, what are, what are Mine you says true when this book was first published, but a 2011 U.S. Canada membership survey showed about one eleventh of AAs were 30 and under. Nice. One eleventh or twenty percent, depending <laughs> on which version you have. And twenty eleven versus twenty fourteen. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. And uh, to the next paragraph. Yeah. No, awesome. Okay. Oh, we got to share. <clears throat> Hi. Hi. We Hey, Kelly. Can you hear me? So to be gravely affected, one does not necessarily have to drink a long time nor take the quantities some of us have. And this is particularly true of women. Potentially female alcoholics often turn into the real thing and are gone beyond recall in a few years. Um, you know, I actually did drink for a long time. I was, the, you know, the young person. I, but I didn't have so many consequences for a really long time. But once I look back, I was that heavy, hard drinker. You know, a couple consequences here and there. But once I crossed over the line into full-blown alcoholism, I was gone within about two... It's kind of a blur, but I'm going to say it was probably within a year or two. I was in bed binge drinking for days, and I really, truly believed that I was not an alcoholic because I, (laughs) I kept that lie alive when I was the moderate or when I was a heavy hard drinker because I thought I was an alcoholic because I didn't drink in the morning. And then somewhere that, that lie kind of got covered up and it got gray. And then that, the vodka was by my bed at night. So when I woke up, I could drink and go back to sleep. You know? And I just crossed over that line into full-blown physical addiction to alcohol and everything that was important. And all of these, um, what, do we, what do we call those? The convictions galore and the, you know, we, we may have all have had, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Moral and philosophical convictions, I had those. And I thought I had everything beaten. I had everything taken care of. And slowly but surely, those went away. And I lied to myself. 
but I can very much attest to that. You know, this is particularly true of women because I crossed over the line from functioning to the best of my ability into a complete non-functioning blackout drinker. And it was a very short period of time. And if you were to call me an alcoholic, I would have thought you were insane. Thank you. Keep on. Sure. Awesome. As we look back, what do we believe? As we look back, we feel we had gone on drinking many years beyond the point where we could quit on our own willpower. What is the second test to learn the truth about alcoholism? If anyone questions whether he has entered this dangerous area, let him try leaving liquor alone for one year. If he is a... Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Will real alcoholics be successful? If he is a real alcoholic and very far advanced, there is scant chance of success. Two-parter, can we be successful in the early stages of the disease? And what happens to us later on? In the early days of our drinking, we occasionally remain sober for a year or more, becoming serious drinkers again later. Though a person is able to stop for a period, what may be the case? Though you may be able to stop for a considerable period, you may yet be a potential alcoholic. If a person fails the test, will he probably be interested in the content of this book? We think few to whom this book will appeal can stay dry anything like a year. Even though a real, man, real alcoholic may decide to quit for a year, how soon will most of them return to drinking? Some will be drunk the day after making their resolutions, most of them within a few weeks. Mm. I'm reminded of uh, all these sweet promises, right? Predicting the future. I'm done forever, telling people that I loved that I was done drinking forever. Taking and then, a solemn oath. Right, right. Swearing off forever and... And then, you know, having these insanely trivial reasons to take the first drink, like a wedding or a ceremony or something or, or a football game or a concert. And it's like, well, Tuesday, yeah, any day begin- ending in Y, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, and it got really dark. And, and then so by the time I get here to this part in the book, I should know that, you know, if I really am honest with myself, am I going to be able to stop drinking for a year on my own willpower? Well, the answer is hell no. Right. I mean, I was I tried many times and didn't last a week or a month. And uh, so that's where the honesty comes in. Right. Remember, we read spiritual experience in there is a solution, honesty, open mindedness, willingness. These are the essentials of recovery. Well, honesty often requires uh, a little bit of. Yeah, prayer, thoughtfulness, all these other factors. Well, I like that they throw in that that little snippet right there to whom this book will appeal Mm -hmm. also, because, you know, like. I, th- I think we brought this up before, but like, I mean, I, this isn't a book that someone's just, you know, you're looking for a good beach book. You're going to take the copy of Alcoholics Anonymous out and read, read that. Like, you're, if you're reading this book, obviously you're in a position where you are looking for an answer to a problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I just, I like that they throw that in there and they kind of clarify that, you know, it kind of it helps me to differentiate the difference between a, a real alcoholic and a problem-heavy hard drinker, a real alcoholic and a moderate drinker, right? Like, if you're reading this book, you have an issue that you might need a spiritual solution to deal with. And then also, if you're up until this point in the book, right, and hopefully reading it with the sponsor, it's a decision that you've probably already made for yourself, or, you know, if you haven't made that decision, then maybe you aren't going to be up until this point in the book, you know? So... Uh, do we have any shares on that last paragraph? I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Barry. Hey, hey Barry. Barry. I say recovered because God has removed the obsession to to drink alcohol and turn to it. But having having lived the fact that you know once you're 
through the process and through the steps. It is possible to go back. It is possible to go back to being an untreated alcoholic, and that looks like you know in your daily life, pride has taken over. You know, pride being the opposite of humility. Pride forces you to not acknowledge your character defects, uh, character defects which are which are brought up uh, from fear, fear of not being good enough, fear of not deserving. Um, but getting back to that point when you are connected with God, God has removed that obsession, you know, after a period of time of sobriety, you have confidence. God has given me confidence that not only um, he believes that I want to change, he's capable of helping me to change and change forever and for the good. Thank you. Thanks, Barry. If a person can't drink moderately, what is the question? Uh, for those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. What are we assuming? We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. What will determine whether or not a person can quit for good and all on a non-spiritual basis? Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends upon the extent to which he has already lost the power to choose whether he will drink or not. What do many of us feel we have? Many of us felt that we have plenty of character. There was a tremendous urge to cease forever. I just did two sentences again. Sorry. All right. What was our tremendous urge? Well, to, to cease, cease forever. Okay. How successful were we? Yet we found it impossible. What is the really baffling feature of chronic alcoholism, no matter what? This is the baffling feature of alcoholism as we know it, this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. Right. So I can't quit on a non-spiritual basis. So this is the solution that's offered. It's a spiritual basis. This really makes me think of uh, the paragraph in, on page 24. Uh, we, we call it the untreated fact box. Um, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice and drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against the first drink. You know, it doesn't matter how much I want to stop. I don't have that. I don't have the choice. You know, so I can want it all all day long, but that's not. It doesn't make a difference and, if I'm a real alcoholic. And I thought it really connected to what you said on 24, where we don't have a defense against the first drink. On 43, at the end, we don't have a f mental defense against the first drink, except in a few rare cases, neither me nor any other human being can provide such a defense. My defense has to come from a higher power, right? Mike Chase. Hey, recovered alcoholic Mike Chase. Hey, Mike Chase. Um, I love this one. Of my favorite paragraphs in the whole darn book. And I got it boxed, and uh, I called it, have you crossed the line box? Uh, uh, have you crossed the line into full-blown alcohol? Am I an alcoholic? The name of the book is Alcoholics Anonymous, not, I think I got a little drinky-poo problem, anonymous, <laughs> or hey, I'm a, I'm a college boy drunk elk drinker. No, it's, or I'm a problem heavy heart. It's Alcoholics Anonymous, and, and the definition of alcoholic that we use in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, and the book it refers to it is right here. Whether such a person can quit upon a non-spiritual basis depends to the extent to which he has already lost a power to choose whether he can drink or not. Problem-heavy hard drinkers can get scared, therapied, rationalized, prodded, geographically brought to a place where they don't drink like they used to. They may have a, a social issue that they've dealt with they might have had a behavioral problem that they've dealt with. 
and they've been able to, or, or the sober softball, or just hanging around with positive people, you know, helps them out. <laughs> Believe it, when I was, when I was on my six-year-old run, you know, I was around some positive people here and there, but I still drank, you know? And I was only going to have one or two little Knob Creeks and be home by 9.30 for a meeting, and, you know, that never happened. Um, this, this thing's got one of the most startling lines in the whole book. For those who are unable to drink moderately, and moderately means like one or two drinks, you don't get shit-faced and drive, you, you're, not, you're not anti-social, you actually have responsibility, you're not blowing the food, uh, food budget on, you know, putting vodka in the freezer because it costs too much, you're not paying the electric, but I mean living normally. You know, there's a, there's a lot of people who have not much else to do these days, sitting home drinking a little bit more than they should, but you know, what else they got to do? But for the alcoholic, we just cannot stop drinking. So I love this part. For those who are unable to drink moderately, the question is how to stop altogether. Because if I can't stop altogether, I'm going to trigger the phenomenon of craving and find myself going down the same old rabbit hole in the same old cycle, wishing I was dead. Best question in the book. We are assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. I've had so many people I've worked with that that really have no desire to stop. They they think they did, but when it gets gone down to it, you know, they they didn't. And then I get the calls from some parents, you know, and say, "Oh my God, you got to help them and stuff like that." And it's like, I can't force people to get sober. I can show them a life. We can share with them the lives we have. But you can't push somebody up the ladder because as soon as you stop, they're going to fall down. You can't take a ho- you can't make a horse drink water from the river. You can't make somebody who doesn't think they're an alcoholic to do the things necessary to recover from alcoholism because, first of all, the alcoholic's going to try and do the problem-heavy hard-drinker solution. Mm. You know, that's going to end up blowing up in their face, and then we shame them with a white chip, right? What's that all about? <laughs> so we are here to help them to determine, are you really one of us? And if you are, there's some stuff that we can do to help you have a magnificent, wonderful, glorious life where you get credit cards back, you start having gadgets around the house, you have friends and family, people invite you over to their house, they don't hide their purses, or they don't keep an eye on you when you ever, like you ever to somebody's house and the other just like shit on rice, or white on rice, or something like that, I don't know how that goes, but you go in the house when I was drunk, and they were just like three feet behind me, and I'm just going to the bathroom, yeah, okay, I'm just heading to that way too, because they don't try, that's the life I don't have anymore, people trust me, people love me, people care about me. I'm a person that, you know, the family reaches out to for suggestions and stuff like that. And if I didn't think I was an alcoholic, I never would have done the things necessary to become the person I am today. So remember, this whole book is about selling us one last time. You're either one of us and you've got some great stuff to do to get you a magnificent life, or you don't. So get out of here and go have some fun. Hang out with different people, you know? Get some therapy because, God, your life sucks, you know? Stuff like that. But this is helping me determine, am I a real alcoholic? Because if I'm not... Why am I here? Thanks. Thanks for sharing. That's a good question. And I'm reminded of Doc, uh, our speaker, Doc, that's doing the Thursday Night Step Series. He's going to be wrapping up with 12. He says, thank God they wrote it down. Right? Yeah. Thank God we have the solution and the, the problem that's stated clearly in this book. Because I remember how confusing it was to be around the perimeters of AA, just sheepishly kind of edging my way into AA and then seeing people that aren't doing anything that aren't really even alcoholics that stayed sober for like 5, 10, 20 years. Uh, without, they stayed sober on a non-spiritual basis, and that is because those people are not alcoholics. It's very confusing, right? It's baffling. Thank God they wrote it down. Yeah. 
Hi, recovered alcoholic named Kelly again. Hey, Kelly. To touch on what Mike said, we're assuming, of course, that the reader desires to stop. You know, and then whether or not such a person can quit on a non-spiritual basis depends on the extent to which they've already lost control. And, you know, when I went to treatment, um, I didn't go because I wanted to quit. I went because I wanted to quit getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. I wanted to quit getting hassled. I had painted myself into such a corner that it was either go or you're out. So I went. And while I was there, I was introduced to AA meetings. And, you know, I was there there for about 64 days. And, you know, I came home. And, you know, thank God that happened. Because I was given that little lifeline to Alcoholics Anonymous. I came home and I got a sponsor and I went to meetings. And I did steps one, two, and three. Because I'm like, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And then it came to step four. And I went, whoa. Hold on a second. I'm not willing to open this up and look at myself, right? So I stopped the process. And it took me 10, I lasted 10 minutes before my six months. And I really didn't last because if I look back at it, I may or may not have been getting prescriptions from my doctors for neck pain, right? But I wasn't drinking. And 10 minutes to my six months, I had... no defense against the first drink. I thought I was fine. I wasn't going to meetings anymore. I wasn't seeing my sponsor, and I wasn't doing the work. So, you know, the whole point of this process is to get a spiritual experience, you know, so that we react to the world differently or we don't react to the world, however you want to look at it. But we have to have a complete change in our personality. So I quit that process. And I was driving past a liquor store, and I had my mind said, oh, you have 10 minutes until it closes. And that happened to be 10 minutes till midnight, which would have been my sixth month. That's why I remember it. You know, and without a second thought, I turned right into the liquor store and I got two little, two little airplane bottles. And within two weeks, I was just as bad, if not worse, than I was before I went to treatment. I had the complete inability to control it. I had, and that particular situation at the end of that was what convinced me that I could not do this on my own. I like I like the way that you kind of described that when you were saying like yeah 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 like and, and I can definitely relate to that um, you know I was willing to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood Him as long as it was comfortable for me and as long as it didn't really like make me have to do too much you know and as long as I didn't have to take a look at myself and as long as I could still keep running the show you know so I mean it's just crazy like and I think that goes into part of like that mental obsession like I'm still sitting there lying to myself telling myself like that no I'm doing the right things I can't imagine how that relapse happened I can't imagine how I ended up here because like I did everything I was supposed to do AA must not work you know but like it's just that arrogance that we just can't let go of so I I really I can relate to everything you just said um do you want to keep going sure yeah, we can probably finish these last two paragraphs. What? Yeah, or maybe we, oh. maybe we wrap it up oh, because okay. we're about at that time. All right, so, cool. Yeah. From right. A Vision for You, page 164. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and for countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to happy destiny. 
not a corona cough. <laughs> it is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Anybody want to introduce a sponsee? I can't count. I don't have enough fingers. Um, anyone celebrating a year or more of sobriety that would like a medallion? Tanisha is going to be celebrating a year tonight. There's going to be a presentation of a four-year medallion from the front of this podium by Kelly. Kelly. Hi. Hey, <laughs> Recovered Kelly. alcoholic named Kelly. So I just found out I'm presenting Tanisha, her four-year medallion. Congratulations, Tanisha. I've known you for actually the last few years I've been coming to this meeting, and I've gotten to do service work for you. I've been grace enough that you've asked me. I know that you do a lot of work with women. I know that you regularly attend meetings. I know you have a sponsor. I know that you sponsor women. You actually sponsored my sister at one point for a little while. I know you have a very strong belief in, in the God of your understanding. And I know that you suit up and you show up and you're a wonderful mother and you're a wonderful wife. And I know that you do this deal. And I am so proud and grateful to know you. Come on up and get your virtual medallion. <laughs> can't hug you. Here you go. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's everything I imagined. <laughs> uh, Kelly, thank you so much. Um, I am truly honored and grateful to have reached my fourth year in continuous sobriety. It's amazing. Um, I could only Imagine what I would be going through at a time like this if I was still struggling with my alcoholism. And, you know, truth be told, you know, this program and creating or developing a new relationship with my higher power um, has done the trick. Finding the solution, I'm able to be grounded, I'm able to still practice my morals and carry these principles in all my affairs, that's for sure, um, on my day-to-day -day basis, even though I don't get to see you guys as much as I want to and receive those hugs. It is a very hard time for me, but I know that my God is bigger, and I know we will get through this together, and that is what AA to me is all about, walking through this shoulder-to-shoulder. And it's like a marriage, through the thick and the thin, you know? Um, it's it's just more than what I thought it would be. Um, throughout all this, I'm just truly grateful the way that God has just laid out my path. And I follow it. And I follow those that have come before me because they definitely show a great example. And you too, Kelly, you are definitely a great example to me, and I really appreciate it. Thank you for all of you that are holding this meeting because um, it really does mean the world to me. Thank you. Um, is anyone in need of a big book sponsor? <laughs> Tanisha. <laughs> no, don't say that. Just pay for my business. If you would like... <laughs> If you'd like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a membership card. Can all home group members rate? Well, everybody's a home group member. <laughs> Great. We'll see you right after the meeting to help take down the room. Yes. Uh, thank you for joining us tonight, and we hope to see you next week. Uh, Thursday evening is our Alcoholics and God Step Series workshop starting at 715, and we have Doc finishing up his 12-step series. So 
Uh, definitely tune in for that. Uh, we'll be live streaming it the same way we are tonight. Our Father. Our Father.
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life, and my 
fields are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time right outside my door. Like never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. song is god bless i love you mike chase bye i think you know this one don't you
Shine the light on me tonight. 